My name's Stuart, and for those who don't know me, I'm one of the key leaders part of church here. Um, and this morning, we're going to be starting uh, a new series um, together. Um, but before we do, I just want to put up a, a little picture on the screen, um, which you may have seen before many times. Um, this is a picture, I guess we can all relate to this. Um, hopefully, it'll come on the screen. Um, and it shows our life journeys, which in this room are a wide spectrum of life journeys. Maybe that um, top picture is basically showing your plan, and then the bottom one actually shows reality of life. And we've shown that before, but sometimes we all experience mountaintop experiences. Sometimes we feel we're in the depths of the valleys, and sometimes life is just a bit mundane just a bit mundane. And this morning we're going to start this new series looking at a guy in the Bible called Elijah. Um, so if you want to open up your Bibles in uh, the middle of 1 Kings in the Old Testament or go to your Bible app on your phone, um, you know, if you're just stuck on Facebook or whatever, then you're stuck on Facebook. But there is a Bible app on your phone if you want to use that. Um, and I guess this morning I'm, I'm speaking into a context that... Um, that often life doesn't feel that we're on mountaintops. I know for myself, it's, I'm not there at the moment, so I'm speaking in a place that is not at a mountaintop. Um, and we're going to look at Elijah, and Elijah is often seen as one of, possibly one of God's giants, a prophet par excellence. You know, a, f a few months back I spoke about um, the transfiguration where Elijah and Moses were there with Jesus in this kind of, on the mountaintop, kind of experience. And so to the Israel, Israelite people, Elijah is seen as one of the giants. And all, all other prophets kind of lived in his shadow. Miracles would happen wherever he turned up. Elijah raised the dead. He defeated his enemies. He thunderously proclaimed God's truth to a people who had lost their way. Yet I expect the greatest lessons that he, he learned were as he followed God, not in the mountaintop that we're going to talk about this morning, but in the depths of the valley. And that's what we're going to look at over the next uh, four weeks, to really face, head face on this kind of what is it like to be to live a journey of walking with God in a mountaintop experiences but also in very painful valleys and I want to spend a little bit of time this morning actually setting the scene um, for many years um, the the people of Israel have been rotting that's a kind of a quite a distinct way of saying but had been rotting in a serious moral and spiritual decay and by the time that Elijah reached adulthood they had come, those people had come to a real all-time low. It was the bottom of a pit time. So you had the golden age of King David and King Solomon. Um, but once that was finished, six, six kings came along in 58 years. From Israel's history, you can see from 1 Kings 12 onwards in the Bible, we read that it's like a rogues gallery of murderers, of adulterers, Kings who were just screwing up the whole of that nation. The seventh king out of those kind of, over that time was a guy called King Ahab. He was worse than the lot. His wife was the infamous Queen Jezebel. They had sinned against God by worshipping 
the God of Baal and killing all of God's prophets. Ahab had led Israel for a downward spiral of adultery. And you can read about that in chapter 16 of 1 Kings. In particularly, they even built a temple to the to God of Baal. Perhaps even trying to make the worship of Baal not as a state religion. So whereas the Israelite people were about the worship of God, this king was just degrading everything. And then Elijah enters the picture. And Elijah enters the picture um, in 1 Kings 16.30. And it says this about Ahab. It says, Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than anyone of those before him. And Elijah enters in 1 Kings 17. And this is what it says. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said that right, said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kereth ravine east of Jordan. You will will drink from the brook I have ordered and the ravens to feed you there. So Elijah prophetically announces to the people of Israel God's heart. It was God's judgment. No one likes to hear judgment. It makes us unravel. There was going to be a drought on the land. And straight away God led um, Elijah to a brook. Elijah was actually, rather than just talk about it and say it out to this whole nation, he actually had to live it out. Elijah's name means the Lord is my God. And this is the centre of the message that Elijah had to speak out, he had to live out, and it was him. It was a word and action thing. The God of Baal was considered to be the God of fertility. The Lord also of the rain clouds. And God's judgment showed that that God was powerless to provide rain. So Elijah went on this journey, went to this place called Kereth, which means drought. He prophesies drought, and now he's heading to drought. It's kind of pretty strange, isn't it, to make a big dramatic entrance into the life of this, this country. And then straight away God speaks again and sends him out. Kind of a little bit kind of weird. You kind of expect the big dramatic entrance to stay, everything changes, but straight away he's sent out. But Elijah wasn't sent away to hide. He was sent away to be shaped by God. It was a place where his character was developed. Elijah was alone and dependent on God. By having food delivered by ravens, he was totally and utterly dependent on God. Now this might not come as a new thing to you, but but God is actually interested more in our character than in the giftings that we have. So straight away, Elijah, you kind of expect, oh, he's the big prophet, the God giant. But straight away, God pulls him out of that to shape him in a character. Why? Because there was so much more to come. So much more to come. In the New Testament, in the book of James, we read these words in in James chapter 5, 17. Elijah was a human being. Even as we are. Now I don't know about you, but you're probably thinking that I'm nothing like Elijah. 
Elijah was a human being as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years, three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. You can't just separate those two verses from the story of Elijah. He was a human being just as every single person in this room is. Yet God used him. God shaped him, shaped his character and used him. That's a glimpse of Elijah's background, the culture he entered into. And then we hit this big mountaintop experience. He's coming from a place of drought, of shaping. And this, this guy, Elijah, who the king kind of said is a little bit of a troublemaker, he was heading for a showdown. He was about to challenge the prophets of Baal to prove that the, was their God real or was the God of Elijah real? If Baal could set fire to their sacrifice, then people should worship him. But if the God of Elijah sent fire to burn up Elijah's sacrifice, that would prove that he was the true God. So let's read from 1 Kings 18, verse 16 onwards. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah said, but you and your families have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands. You have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel. And bring the four and hundred and fifty prophets of Baal and the four hundred prophets of Isaiah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word through all Israel and assembled the prophets on the Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between the two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Nout. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one of them themselves and cut them into pieces and put on wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you will call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people say, said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it at first. Since there are many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull they'd been given and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning to noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. There was no response. No one answered. They even danced around the, the altar they had made. At noon... I like this bit, this is a bit cheeky. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them, shout louder. He said, surely he is God. Perhaps he is uh, deep in thought, busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping or maybe he must be awakened. So they shouted louder, slashed themselves with swords and spears as their custom was. Until their blood flowed. Midday passed, they continued frantic prophesying until time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered, no one paid any attention. Then Elijah said to all people, come here to me. They came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. 
Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the ball into pieces, laid it on the wood. This must have taken ages, really, wasn't it? That's a lot of work. Then he said to them, fill large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Bonkers. Do it again, he said, and then he did it again. Do it a third time. Absolutely crazy. He ordered that they did it third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. You see Elijah's confidence in his God. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel, that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice. The wood, the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Well, that's a bit of a Hollywood blockbuster, isn't it? I mean, that's a crazy picture going on in my head of what that actually looks like. But if I'm bluntly honest, I'd, I would like my faith to be consistently like that Mount Carmel faith of Elijah. To believe in mighty miracles. To believe, have bold confidence like he had. To have that fearless faith. Yet, I prefer to remember the whole journey Elijah's been on. That's why I talked about it already. The whole journey through Kereth, through drought, through refining in Zarephath, which I didn't read about, which is in the middle of that. And then the journey afterwards. For Elijah, it still has a lot of character shaping to go. He still has a lot to deal with. Disappointment with God. Fear, self-doubt suicidal thoughts ready to give up now I can relate to Elijah if I take the whole picture he's a human being like each one of us Elijah announced it was one against 450 the whole tone of this declaration was and I like the odds I kind of get a bit scared by odds like that he invited Baal's prophets to battle This battle involved preparing a bull to be sacrificed. They would take it in turns to invite their gods to send fire from heaven on that bull. Which God answered with fire, it was the real God. Baal's 450 prophets prepared their bull, they danced, they cried, nothing happened. Then it was Elijah's turn. He repaired the altar of the Lord, the place of worship. He prepared his bull. The place of sacrifice. And to make a statement, he dug a trench. And then one, two, three times, he ordered the people to pour on water. Fire fell. Elijah triumphed. 
Then in the verses that followed, in verse 41 onwards, Elijah went to the top of the mountain. Not just the moment, but then he prayed for rain. They hadn't seen rain for years. He believed God was going to increase that miracle more than just the moment, but he was going to change the season. For some people here, maybe it is, I want God not only to change the moment, but change the season. Elijah was obedient to God's promises. He knew his God. It came from the place, the raw place of shaping, of drought. And in verse 45, it said, Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, and heavy rain started to fall. That's the picture, that's the background. I want to encourage us with just a few thoughts about what God reveals at this stage in Elijah's life. At Mount Carmel, it's obvious, there was a supernatural demonstration of the power of God. Fire from heaven was a sign of God's power. I'm challenged, as I've read this again and again, do I have the confidence that every time that Elijah has, praying to the living God who will hear me and act on my behalf, I'm not. I'm scarred. I'm disappointed. But I can see God's, what God did in Elijah was in a place of shaping to believe that God would break through. Do we believe God will break through? Do we believe it? We see it here. We've seen it many times through scripture. But take the whole picture and see there are other seasons that we have to live through. I'm reminding ourselves of the promises of God standing together alongside each other, shoulder to shoulder, when we've got nothing left to do individually. Let's do it together. Every time we pray, come Holy Spirit. We are asking God to repeat the miracle of Pentecost, the miracle of Carmel, when the fire of God can come on people. You don't need to shout it. You don't need to hype it up. Just say, come Holy Spirit. I want that to happen. The demonstration of God's supernatural power in our lives is something I long to see more of. But I recognise I'm not always there on top of Mount Carmel. I don't have that bold confidence. Sometimes I spend too long in Kereth. Or even afterwards. Which we'll get on to in a moment. We need to understand that there is the power and authority of God's word along with the power of the Holy Spirit that can make significant changes, can believe God will break through. If you've journeyed with God over many years, you will know those times of breakthrough, even if you're not at it at the moment. You will know times you go, yeah, that happened, but this other season is pretty long. And maybe we wrestle, maybe we've been hurt, yet do we still choose to believe the power of God for breakthrough? The other thing I was thinking about as I was thinking about my own mountaintop experiences, sometimes I feel like I'm, a, I'm actually the spectator. God is doing his thing because God is God, but he's lovingly and graciously let me watch. 
And I think that's awesome. Because sometimes I feel like I've stumbled up a mountain. I'm stumbling up to a place where God is doing stuff, but I am the one who's spectating and watching what's going on. But God is letting me into that story. He's choosing me to be part of that. He's choosing us to be part of his story. The moments in life where he will do massive breakthroughs. Elijah himself had this audience. The people of Israel are watching what's going on. They're watching the bell. Then they're watching what Elijah's doing. He has, a, he has something within him that was cultivated that is a, is a pushing all the boundaries, fearless perseverance. It was cultivated in the drought, in the desperate times. But he needs this perseverance to go up this mountain. I imagine what's going through his head is not like I'm puffed up and everything because he's just been in a drought place. I imagine what's going on inside him is like, okay, God, you're going to have to show up here. You're going to have to show up. You're going to have to show up. Cultivating fearless perseverance is a lifelong journey. It's not a quality, I have to say, that looks exciting. It can look a bit dull. Perseverance doesn't always look like an exciting life. But Romans 5.3 says this, which reminds us, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. That's bonkers. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. The Carmel mountain top experience of Elijah needs to be seen in the context of his entire life. Don't just pick it out and go, that's what walking with God is like. I'm not there. It needs to be seen in the context of entire of Elijah's life, which we'll explore. And I think in our culture nowadays, we're just looking for the mountaintops. We even just show everybody the mountaintops. You look at anyone's show reels. Whether that's a social media account where everything on, looks exciting, perfect, fun. Or whether it's the face-to-face -face conversation when you don't like to say about the messy bits of life. We're getting rewired in our culture nowadays just to share the mountaintops. We need to kind of change that narrative really. It's not saying don't share that, because we need to celebrate the good stuff. That's why we started our service, actually celebrating the good stuff that's happened. But not all of us have good stuff that's happened, so let's listen to and encourage, be encouraged by someone else's good stuff. That's what family's about. But let people into the internal world too. Those who know me best know that I need to say this into a mirror. <laughs> I need to do this better myself. Because sometimes when we climb to the top of a mountain, the cliff fall afterwards is pretty huge. So we need to develop and culture a culture that is about fearless perseverance. And asking that God would in each one of us today 
put a fearless perseverance within each one of us. What happened to Elijah next was he came down off that mountaintop where he saw the rain come. And on his way down, Queen Jezebel threatened his life, triggered something in him. He was suddenly beyond his limit. He ran for his life, ended up sitting under a bush praying God would take his life. God's actions here are quite interesting, and Esther will explore this more in the next week. There's no condemnation, no guilt trip. No, what do you think you're doing because you've, you've just pulled off this big miracle. No lecture, instead God just sends an angel and encourages him to sleep and eat. Sleep and eat. He comes off a mountaintop experience, almost cliff face falls, panics because he's right at his limit. And then God sends an angel who encourages him to eat and sleep. He's developing his perseverance in a different place now. So two things. We want to encourage what does it mean to believe God will break through. And what does it look like to have that fearless perseverance? But the final thing I want to just briefly touch on is Elijah is seen as a prophet with a social conscience. He's not reluctant to speak out against authority. He's not reluctant to speak out when he saw injustice and things happening that were totally against God's purposes. We can see across history, people, Christians and churches that have prophetically spoken out to see God's purposes and God's kingdom come on this earth. Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9 says some of the best verses in the Bible. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. For the rights of all those who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Elijah was a prophet with a social conscience. Across history, we see it. We see um, William Wilberforce who single, almost single-handedly caused the British Parliament to outlaw trading of slaves. It's back again with human trafficking, the evil of human trafficking and modern slavery. The church and Christians need to rise up and, with a prophetic social conscience and speak into that to see that stop. What Andy does in, in, in Hope, down in the, which is formerly the crisis centre, they're living out stuff that is a prophetic action in our city. For the most vulnerable and the most marginalised. They are standing up. Not just talking about it, but they're living it. It can't ever be just an add-on if I walk with Jesus. It can't ever be an add-on. It challenges our kingdom of comfort that we've created. If you want to know what that kingdom of comfort, listen to Ben Whitnell spoke a few weeks back about this. We've created a kingdom of comfort rather than something that Elijah is speaking into that is saying, actually, the God, he's the real God. I'm going to change this season. Finally, as we come down from the mountain experience, 
this is the most vulnerable place. This is where we're vulnerable for attack. But this is the place we need to watch our backs. We need to journey with others. As you move down off a mountaintop, make sure you've got people around you. People who will sit in the most darkest moments of your life. Sit alongside you, not advise you, not tell you what to do. Just sit with you. You know the Winnie the Pooh piglet thing? Do that. Let's pray that God would also have that tension. God would break through that you provide fearless perseverance. But we would do this together.